The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Happy Monday, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on March 7th. My dad's birthday. The gang's all here. Frank Stanfield joined by Scott White and Chris Towers today on the show. We've got some updates on the labor negotiation between the MLB and the Players Association. We've got some drafts going on. What do our TGFBI teams look like? And then we've got ADP risers and fallers over the past month. But unfortunately, another weekend goes by. No baseball agreement yet, but drafts are happening. The Scott White Dynasty League salary cap draft was on Sunday, and it was fun. What's going on, Scott? How do you like your team? You're muted, by the way, before you even start. Just want to make sure you know. And so then I took my camera away, frantically <laughs> clicking to un- I only muted myself because you tell me to mute myself before we start. F-W-I-W. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's more of a free agent draft, obviously, because the majority of players are kept. I think there were more players kept this year than ever before. Not that I keep records or anything, but that was, that was, my, that was my sense of things. So I only bought two. I bought Zach Granke. I bought uh, Tony Kemp to be my starting first baseman. This is a 24-team league. It's worth pointing out. And uh, I'm pretty happy with that. I, that's, you know, Zach Granke was like the fourth best pitcher who wasn't kept or something like that, <laughs> which is also crazy. Like, Jeez, man. I would say only two starting pitchers who you expect to be drafted universally weren't kept you darvish and clayton kershaw so it's it's just it seems improbable that the rest of the pitcher crop for like a standard 12 team league would all be would all have salaries that make them worth keeping it's just it's bizarre yeah no that's the nature of the beast man 24 team head-to-head points league you know people are dying to get their hands on some pitchers in this league you darvish went for 64 dollars which is mm-hmm. it sounds crazy alex, it is crazy alex but. cobb went for 39 <laughs> i drafted kyle hendricks myself for 36 dollars. so that tells you where we're at when it comes to the starting pitchers what's going on chris not too much not too much i'm, I'm okay with how my team i i actually like I, for the first time ever, I feel pretty good about my team as a whole. The, I've been in this league for six or s- five or six years now, probably, and I've never committed to a full rebuild. And so I've been just like kind of trying to tape over my, whatever my team's flaws are with uh, the draft by usually drafting like two high priced players and then just hoping they're good enough. <laughs> this year, I actually have a pretty good team, um, mostly in the pitching staff. And then I was able to add Joey Votto, Marcelo Zuna, and Craig Kimbrell. So I feel okay. I mean, I got a couple other guys, but that's that's the main haul today. So I don't know. I feel like I'm going to compete this year as long as I don't get too many injuries. Don't forget about Robinson Cano. You found <laughs> you wound up with Robinson Cano. I got for a three, three dollar Robinson Cano. I mean, that was, that, that was that was somebody I was hoping to get for a buck at my second base instead of Tony yeah. Kemp. So nine dollar Gary Sanchez. Who knows. Who knows? Who knows indeed. Let's get people caught up on the latest when it comes to the labor negotiations. The Players Union made a proposal on Sunday. They lowered their ask for the pre-arbitration bonus pool from $85 million to $80 million. So came down a little bit, but there's really not a lot going on. No change on the CBT or the minimum minimum salary. Uh, They would grant the MLB 
I know people don't like that. MLB ability to implement three specific on-field changes with 45-day notice, starting with 2023 pitch clock, larger bases, and a shift restriction, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, Owners were not happy with this offer overall, and the word that they use to describe the negotiations where they're at at this point, quote, deadlocked. So I don't. I would imagine that we get some kind of announcement, you know, by the end of this week, if nothing happens, that they're probably going to cancel another week's worth of games. But keep your fingers crossed, and anything that happens, we will obviously keep you guys up to date. The interesting part of this uh, shift restriction, I don't really know the details of it. I don't even know that they know the entire details of it yet. But yeah. this is something that wouldn't go into effect until 2023. So it's not for this season. But maybe if you play in a dynasty league or a keeper league, you know, it's something that you're starting to think about now for the future. And Scott, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway initially is this would help left-handed pull hitters, right? Like Joey Gallo and Max Kepler, Cody Bellinger. I looked over the past three years, the leaders in in pull rate, um, and a lot of them were lefties. Anthony Rizzo on that list, Matt Olson. Mm-hmm. I feel like by 2023, you know, maybe this helps with their batting averages. Yeah, it could it could help a lot. I mean, obviously, we have to find out exactly what it means and if it'll be implemented. Because just because they've agreed to it in theory, I mean, there's there are all these little tokens like that. I, like it's not a major negotiation point. It's just a little token offering from one side to another. And I feel like at some point in the struggle over, you know, every side feeling like it got as much as it possibly could get some of these tokens are going to stick and some of them are going to be taken away. So we'll, we'll see what actually happens with it. And, and, and again, what it actually means, because there are, there, there's tons of shifting that's happened. It's been around in the game forever. It's just really in recent years, we've seen this dramatic shifting where you get three infielders on one side of second base. What I, what I'm guessing is it'll probably be something like two infielders have to line up on each side of second base, something just to kind of eliminate the the most dramatic the most drastic versions of this. But yeah, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that I remember life before those shifts uh started and once they did start, you saw dramatic drops in batting average for certain players. I know Brian McCann comes to mind. Like he he went from being a 300 hitter to like a 230 hitter <laughs> around the time the shifting started. I don't know that it all has to do with that. Um, but that's one example I think Mark Teixeira stands out. Well, to to just put some numbers on it, um, Anthony Rizzo last season had an, a 174 OPS on pulled ground balls. Uh, that's really, Jeez. really bad. Um, and so, yeah, you, you would think that someone like him, I mean, obviously he's at a point in his career where it may not matter much, but yeah, that's the kind of hitter you would think would stand to benefit you look at like carlos santana was someone who only had a 316 ops on pulled ground balls um mitch hanniger 338 uh 154 average very few of these guys are ever getting extra base hits on these plays but you know but then it's interesting because you also have like tim anderson's a right-handed hitter but he had the eighth most pulled batted balls on the ground last season and actually didn't do all that well on them 455 ops is you know, roughly average-ish. So, yeah, there I could be room for that. To be a really slow right-handed hitter, yeah, extreme shift <clears throat> work as well against you. For what it's worth, Albert Pujols is batting average plummeted, plummeted around yes. the time the shifting started, and he is not a very he was not a very fast right-handed hitter. Uh, yeah. So, I kind of always wondered if it it ruined him too. But yeah, Tim but Anderson. It, it it's going to be like hard effective against him. It's going to be hard to know like what the, how it's going to impact individual players because the sample sizes we're dealing with each season are relatively small. Anyway, you're talking about the most batted balls on the ground to the pull side last season was 140 for Tommy Edmond. So that that's still like to, to be able to say definitively one way or the other, it's going to be really difficult. I think to, to know, but yeah, that you would think a Joey Gallo type that would be the the type of player you would think would benefit. Yeah, th- I mean, if you've seen the extreme shifts against guys like Joey Gallo, where they have like six guys in the outfield against him, it's it's pretty crazy. And I don't maybe I wouldn't call myself a baseball purist, but I really do wish some of these guys would just drop a bunt down. I, like maybe it's easier said than done, but 
Like if they're giving it to well, you, it's man, definitely just, easier said than just done. Just take it. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 very frustrating. I saw there was a quote that came out from him recently. It's just, I it's it's kind of embarrassing. These guys are professionals, right? It's the same thing about like in the NBA. Why can't these guys hit free throws? But anyway, that's I guess well, a conversation for another podcast. <laughs> Would you like to know who led baseball in bunt hits last season? Sure, Joey Gallo. Mm, all right. He had seven bunt hits last season. Now you could argue it should be more, and Bryce Harper had four, and Shohei Otani had four, and so some of those guys are doing it, but maybe they should do it more often. I guess I don't know. It, it's always a, st- a tough balance to strike because the defenses are clearly making the decision that that's something they're willing to give up. Right. But how often would need to happen for them to stop, or how you know often would some Joey Gallo have to go for it? for them to stop it. It's, you know, it kind of gets into like the Barry Bonds intentional walk thing where at what point is it a self-defeating strategy? I don't know, but it's, it's interesting. I, I'm for it. Just banning shifts just because I think it makes the game less interesting with shifts. Like the way the game is played right now and the way like, like Joey Gallo hitting 110 mile an hour line drive right at a second baseman playing 120 feet into the outfield. Like, that's just bad. Like, I, I just think that's like, you can do the like, oh, well, he should learn to hit it the other way or whatever. And like Tony Gwynn, you, and it's like <laughs> Tony Gwynn was facing guys who were throwing like 87. Yeah. You know, like plus Joe, Joey Gallo's facing left-handed relievers who throw 98. The extreme shifting has contributed to the three true outcomes of the game because, you, you know, that's, that's kind of, that was kind of the thinking also behind the fly ball revolution as mm-hmm. well. Let's just hit it over the shift and then we don't have to worry about it. Exactly. Uh, so it's, it's well, and, made the game less interesting. And if people try to claim the other way around, if defenses are more efficient at turning balls in play into outs, the value of a ball in play decreases. And so it reduces if your chances of turning any given ball in play into a, into a hit are lower then the, the penalty for a strikeout is lower. And so I think these are all just kind of re- self-reinforcing things. But the other way you could look at it is if defenses are going to be less uh, less efficient at turning bad, bad balls into outs, pitchers will probably be more incentivized to get strikeouts. So it's it's kind of just all of these feedback loops that that are hard to get around. Yeah, I mean, to Scott's point about the three true outcome becoming as prevalent as it is, Analytics say that it's more likely that you'll score a run on a home run than on station-to-station offense, right? Like trying to string together three hits, that's basically where the game is at. So again, it's people are trying to hit the ball over the shift rather than into the shift. So it could be interesting, you know, change the game back up a little bit. Maybe we see batting averages on the rise, power come down a little bit, but we've got quite a bit of time before uh, I, that happens. I do like the uh, larger bases idea. Yeah, I mean, what's, the, what's the point of that. of that, Chris? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I haven't so read too much one, about it. But. I think to reduce injury risk, um, you know, so that there's more real estate. But I think also this was one of the things that they tried out in the minors. And I think part of it is to increase. I think there's like an infinitesimal small amount of increase on the, the, the likelihood of any given infield ball, ground ball being turned into a hit because there's slightly less time. Uh, ground cover and I think the same idea for stolen bases and so there were um, there was a piece in the athletic or Grantland I can't remember which one but one or not Grantland the ringer uh, that went through some of the things that they did in the minor leagues last season as far as like limiting the amount of times you could throw to first or they did play with larger bases in some of the in one of the minor leagues as well and I think one of the impacts of larger bases was a slight increase in stolen bases. So, you know, I'm, I'm here for that. All right. Well, uh, let's get into our TGFBI teams. I mentioned there's some drafts going on, so we'll quickly run through, give people an update. We've been talking about these the past week or so. Again, these are 15-team, 5 by 5 Roto Leagues. And, uh, Chris, we haven't heard about your team in a while, so what's the latest? What are we looking at? Offense and defense. Offense and defense. Um, Hitting and pitching. Yeah, so we'll... I, I started with... Um, I'm trying to figure out how to pull the uh, the like grid where I can see where I drafted, but I'll just I'll just go by position. So I've got Salvador Perez at catcher uh, right now. Luke Voigt is my first baseman, although Alex Kirilov is also first base eligible. Um, I've got Cattell Marte at second base. I've got Corey Seager and Bobby Witt at shortstop. I've got Eugenio Suarez and Alec Bohm at third base. 
My outfield is Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Joe Adele, Connor Joe, Alex Kirloff, and Julio, Julio Rodriguez. And I've got Nelson Cruz uh, as a utility player. And then my pitching staff is at Sandy, Alcanta- Sandy Alcantara, Charlie Morton, Craig Kimbrell, Eduardo Rodriguez, Patrick Sandoval, Tony Gonsolin, Jesus Lazardo, and Zach Plezak. So a lot of uh, a lot of guys that you know I like, a lot of guys that I've talked about quite a bit uh, so far. So that's where I'm at. I don't know what you guys think about that. I mean, it sounds pretty fun. You don't have a second catcher yet, it sounds like? No second catcher yet, no, no. Um, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out when we get there. <laughs> we, hey, have look- a lot of, we have a lot of similar players, Chris. We were talking yes. about it before the show. A lot of similar players who are fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is a weird draft for me in that, like, I'm not usually the guy that takes prospects, but it felt like, you know, I think I got Bobby Witt like around 110th overall, like a Julio Rodriguez after 250, I'm pretty sure. And so there were enough opportunities for me to take the chances on, on fun, exciting guys. I'm, I'm, I'm light on stolen bases. I think right now that, you know, I'm, I'm relying pretty heavily on Ronald Acuna and Bobby Witt for projected steals. Although Julio Rodriguez and Joe Dell could give me some of those as well. Um, but overall, I'm pretty happy with this team. Uh, look, if nothing else, it's a fun team, Chris. <laughs> yeah. You've got a few prospects on there. You've got Joe Adele, someone we all like, Connor Joe. So a few players that we are all definitely in on. Sandy, Charlie Morton. So sounds like a pretty fun team overall. The thing that's tough about this league is, and I, I think most leagues, you know, most leagues don't play with like a minor league spot or, or anything like that. Is, yeah, yeah. You know, if you draft Julio Rodriguez, we don't know when he's going to be up. He could be there on opening day theoretically yeah. he could be up mm-hmm. two months into the season we just don't know but obviously the upside is massive scott i know that you have wound up with julio rodriguez on your team as well what is that team looking like yeah so i got julio rodriguez i think 266th overall it was round 18 um but oh, yeah so i got him a little later he was the 21st round pick for me yeah i made him i made sure to get him i wanted that upside, because um, I think he's going to be up sooner than later. I mean, if, if there's any team that should be in a spot to push the envelope with a top prospect like that, it's the Mariners, because, you know, they just missed last year. 21-year playoff drought. They just signed Robbie Ray to a big deal. They should be all in on this year. Um, so that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for. And uh, he got called up to double A last season and was awesome. Yeah, he hit, he made it there he as like a 20 year old at double yeah. A. 1000 OPS between double A and, and high A with 13 homers and 21 steals in 74 games. Yeah, so I want him in all the deep leagues. Now you, you bring up an interesting point Frank because I this this uh TGFBI uses NFBC as the host site. And one of the weird things about NFBC is there there are no IL spots. They just don't exist. And you have a normal size bench. So historically in deep leagues like this, in in like Tout Wars, for instance, which is a 15-teamer, in, in even deeper leagues like NL, NL and AL only, I like filling out my bench mostly with prospects and just, you know, rolling the dice that a couple of them come up soon and make a big splash right away. And and uh, historically, it's it's paid off for me. But I, I've struggled in these leagues hosted by NFBC because of that lack of IL spots. If you fill, if if you devote too many too much of your bench to those like lottery tickets that you mm-hmm. can't use until you can use them, that's when once players start getting hurt, you know you don't get an extra roster spot to deal yeah. with that mm-hmm. and in a so 15 I, team league it's harder to drop those guys right because right. you're not going to have a lot of options on the waiver wire i'm anyway. not going to drop julio rodriguez until he comes up and falls flat on his face right you never know <laughs> when he's coming up so i'm trying not to do too much of that in this league this time as much as i don't like that i have to do that it's just the way it is the hope um, is that this year with the the hoped for changes in the CBA that those guys will get called up earlier. Yeah, hopefully that contributes to it. I mean, that's in theory part of what the players are trying to, Although I to do is get rid of the service time manipulation. We don't have a lot of details on what that like actually looks like as far as like the the carrot for teams to not manipulate service time. I think there was talk of like potentially an extra pick if you have a guy finish in the top something in rookie of the year voting, I think was one of them. So, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, I, until we have more details, it's hard to know exactly how effective that's going to be. 
Yeah, so. and I don't. I mean, the most the ideas that sound like it would really address it have they seem way in the rearview <laughs> mirror now. Like the players just moved on from that a long time ago. Yeah. So I, I I'm not really holding my breath that anything's going to change significantly along those lines. Uh, but anyway, getting to my team here. So this was the draft where I started Vladimir Guerrero and Freddie Freeman, remember? And I talked on our last show about how that meant in round 13 I had to pass on Nelson Cruz because there were too many corner infielders I liked. And, you know, I, I only had that one utility spot left for them. I ended up taking Luke Voigt in round 17. Um, my third baseman is Alex Bregman in round 7, so I'm good there. Up the middle, I got Willie Adamas at shortstop, Jose Altuve at second. So my infield is strong as as it tends to be for me. Outfield where I went a little weaker. Uh, Christian Yelich in round eight could have gone Kyle Schwarber there. I didn't have really any stolen bases to speak of at that point, so I I kind of gambled and and uh, I like the pick. Yeah, I was hoping they'd still get Schwarber on the way, uh, you know, a bit later, but it didn't work out. So I got Yelich there as my number one outfielder. Hunter Renfro is my number two outfielder. I took him instead of Nelson Cruz that round. Joe Adele is my number three outfielder. That was the first big upside play for me in round 15. Julio Rodriguez is my fourth outfielder, another big upside play there. Lane Thomas is my fifth outfielder. So getting a little bit of speed there, hopefully, is the Nationals' expected leadoff man. And a little power, too. Probably more power than speed, frankly. Um, so an, I, I didn't mention my middle infielder. That's O'Neal Cruz, who I took in round 16. Another another swing for the fences there. Got a lot of those round 15 and beyond, which is probably the way to do it, right? Um, we, we don't know exactly when he's going to be the Pirates starting shortstop. He was up at the end of last year, played two games, so I'm hopeful it'll be sooner than not, even though it's the Pirates. He was on a 40-40 pace in the minors, basically, last year. Uh, Nicky Lopez, I've said a lot, is kind of my my steals guy, my, my preferred late-round steals option, and I could have gone him instead of Cruz. Um, I still hope to get him on the way back, but it didn't work out. I mean, I lost out on Nicky Lopez, and that's why I took Luke Voigt instead for my utility spot. Uh, I, I missed out on Kyle Hendricks and Carlos Carrasco, two of those three forgotten aces I target late. I did get Zach Greinke. Um, I guess I should go through my pitching stuff real quick. Kevin Gosman, Charlie Morton, like Chris has, Ranger Suarez, Adam Wainwright, Mike Clevenger, Tony Gonsolin and Zach Greinke. That's one through seven, my starting pitchers. I like all of them. My only closer so far is Camilo Duvall. So I'm probably, I don't know, like Chris Stratton's maybe the only hope that left for saves. But they'll always be there on waivers. So hopefully hopefully Duvall keeps me from falling too far behind in the category. I love the O'Neill Cruz pick, Scott. I know you were debating him versus... Uh, Nicky Lopez. Nicky Lopez, but... 10 times out of 10, I would take the upside on O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. I think Nicky Lopez is fine, but I look, I think you could get like a 20 homer, 10, 15 steal kind of guy out of O'Neill Cruz, depending when he's up, but I think it's going to be well, uh, pretty soon. Potentially much more. That That's right. the thing. Like That's the hope. It could be yeah. 2020. You know, it could, it could be 25 homers, 20 steals. I mean, that's like it, 90th it percentile 30, outcome. Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, the high-end outcome for O'Neill Cruz, yeah. but... He showed that potential uh, last season. He hit a home run. Like what? He played like two or three games. He hit his first home run last year. Already, I has, think he has the hardest uh, hit ball by a Pittsburgh Pirate ever. And, I, and I actually Correct. found on Baseball America for the top 100 prospects, they did. They had the average exit velocity for every hitter in the top 100 prospects. And O'Neill Cruz was number one. Like he 94 miles per hour was his ever, average Ooh. exit velocity in the minors last year. Which that is, is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's. That's uh, that's top tier stuff for sure. That's great. Yeah, and look, you spoke about not using too many spots on your bench for either prospects or players who are hurt to start the season. And typically, I've played in a lot of NFBC leagues. I don't like to devote more than two spots of those myself. So whether it's a prospect that you're <clears> stashing, <throat> or an injured player, or just two injured players, yeah. I like to have those you know two spots dedicated to that. Be because what's unique about the NFBC is you could set your hitter lineup on Monday and Friday. So. You kind of like some flexibility, maybe some players 
players that have good matchups over the weekend so that you can kind of interchange things. So I, I like to have right. that flexibility on my bench. I, I know. I, I still got my eye on like Jose Miranda and Nolan <laughs> Gorman. So and Vidal Bruhan's still out there. I could use some more steals. So I may, I may end up doing it anyway. Um, and just hoping, just hoping enough of those guys come up soon enough. But I remember one of these leagues last year, I drafted the trifecta of... Um, Jared Kelnick and Wander Franco and somebody else. And they just, they all took forever to come up and you know, they weren't even that great when they came Franco excluded. Yeah. So it was a, it was a big miss. Yeah. Last year was tough uh, coming off of a 2020 with no minor league season. Of course, I'll quickly catch people up on my team and I'll go through the hitters first. I got Wilson Contreras and Yadier Molina. My draft has been flying by. I think we're in round 25 now. Uh, so almost done here, but I've got Contreras and Yadier Molina as my catchers. I've got Josh Bell at first base, then Jorge Polanco, Tim Anderson, Matt Chapman to finish out the infield. I've got Fernando Tatis, Aaron Judge, Charlie Blackman, Lane Thomas, and Anthony Santander in the outfield. That's I waited too long for my fifth outfielder. It's not great. Uh, Colton Wong, Eric Hosmer, and Fran Reyes at middle, corner, and utility. Uh, I do like the hitting quite a bit. I think it's balanced. Batting average might be a touch low. Uh, Chapman you know, drags it down quite a bit, but we'll see if he can bounce back, get that batting average back up. And my pitchers. So I did not take a starting pitcher until round four, and I drafted Freddie Peralta, Max Freed, Framber Valdez, Eduardo Rodriguez, Noah Syndergaard and Kyle Hendricks. Those are my top six starting pitchers. And then I've got Will Smith, Andrew Kittredge, and Ken Giles as my relievers. So three potential closer candidates. I feel pretty good about that. I think I might be lacking strikeouts. You know, Kyle Hendricks, Framber Valdez in the same rotation. Eh, Got some question marks there. Uh, And you know what, Chris? I took Noah Syndergaard over Alex Cobb. And I wasn't sure about it then. I'm not sure about it now. Coming back from Tommy John surgery, didn't throw any... Breaking pitches in that one inning that he threw, one or two innings that Syndergaard threw last year. I really like Alex Cobb. I don't know, man. I struggle with that I decision. Think, I think you go Syndergaard. Yeah, I, I think, think you probably right go Syndergaard. Yeah, it's it's not like Cobb's upside is so significant that like, or that there's so little risk. That, right. You know, <laughs> he, he's had his own issues. Yeah, so he hasn't I, been able I, to I stay think Syndergaard's the right yeah. right call there. All right, making me feel good. I actually just made a few more picks here. Round 24 and round 25, I selected uh, Yoshi Tsutsugo as my first bench hitter. Can use him at corner or in the outfield. And then Zach Greinke. I got him as my SP7 as well. So, Scott, you're talking into me. Uh, you're talking me into these late round former ace-type pitchers, Zach Greinke, Carrasco. Carrasco, I've drafted a bunch in these drafts. And uh, mm-hmm. and Kyle Hendricks. Been been winding up with those guys. Uh, we. I mean- if if you want upside of that range of the draft at starting pitcher, I don't I don't see how you could say anyone has more than three guys who we were consistently drafting in the top twenty five prior to this year. Yeah, I mean, look, the stri- the strikeouts are going to be shaky. I get that, but the the ratios could be great, like really good. And over the course of one hundred and eighty plus innings, we've got to see where Zach Cranky is going to wind up playing this season. Uh, I think if he was going to retire, he probably would have done it by now. So I, I think he's going to play. Um, so we'll, we'll see where he signs once the lockout ends. We are going to take a quick break before we get these ADP risers and fallers, but I want to remind everyone that we have another live mock draft coming uh, tomorrow, or if you're listening to this on Monday, it is going to be Monday night, so March 7th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, a 12-team head-to-head points league this time. The link to follow, and of course, if, if you want to subscribe, youtube.com slash today. Come by 9 p.m. Eastern Time, hang out, We'll do it live and we'll have fun. Uh, When we return, we've got ADP risers here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. On May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. <laughs> 
it stop, make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season, streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount+. Plus. All right, so let's take a look at some of these risers. And the way that I broke this down was I compared January 1st to the 31st, the ADP in that frame, I think it was like 160 drafts. And then I compared that to February 1st through March 6th, Sunday, March 6th. Uh, so I think that was like 175 drafts, something like that. So a pretty good amount of data and basically just comparing and contrasting the biggest risers and fallers. Thank you to Chris once again for uh, teaching me VLOOKUP because would have never been able to do it without that. Uh, let's take a look at the biggest risers inside the top 100. These players have all moved six plus picks. So it doesn't sound significant, but inside the top 100, that's that's actually a pretty big deal. So the first one up, not really surprised. We've been talking about him a lot. A lot of people have been talking about him. Pete Alonso, he's moved from 55 to 48. So he's more so at that four or five turn in a 12 team league. Matt Olson is at 44. They're basically going at the same spot now. Chris, I know that you like Pete Alonso quite a bit, but I mean, we're at the point now where you just have to choose one or the other. Who is it for you? Is it is it Matt Olson or Pete Alonso? Um, I think it's really close, and I'm not sure it makes all that much of a difference, but let really me see doesn't. where I have them. I do have Matt Olson higher, um, mm-hmm. but... The reason you liked the reason we all liked Alonzo so much before was because of the gap in their price. Now I think at this point it's you can flip a coin. Olsen has actually been a lot less consistent over the course of his career, but he's also been hitting in really, really tough offensive environments for his profile. So it's entirely possible that the breakout we saw last season, you know, might have room to grow even more or at least be more sustainable. Uh, if he goes into a better offensive environment. But I also do think Pete Alonso has room to grow. So I, I think it's sort of six and one half dozen in the other. All right. Uh, Scott, I guess it's not really surprising that Pete Alonso is moving. I mean, there's lots of reasons to like him. He got much better in the second half last year, cut down the strikeout rate. So I think there's a chance that we see a better batting average from Pete Alonso as well. Um, I think you also have Matt Olson ranked ahead of Alonso, right? So if, if you're choosing yeah, between the I two. Mean, he, was, he was better last year. Um, I know this ADP doesn't reflect points leagues, but if it is a points league, Olsen walks more. So that yeah. would be a reason to take him ahead there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I look personally, it, it the drafts I've been doing, it. I'm still surprised how late Alonzo's going. And obviously, you're out there listening. Your, your draft's only going to go one way, and it's not going to necessarily be what ADP shows. So, um, but yeah, I mean, if if... In theory, if they're four spots apart, um, I would. I guess maybe you have to think about that. Like that. That's. I guess you'd have to think about taking Olsen, because uh, you can't count on Alonzo. Yeah, being just because you don't later. know if he's gonna if the fallback's right. gonna be there. If, for what it's worth, ATC projections have Alonzo as the more valuable player. So, yeah, that could be part of why the the move has started to the the gap between them has started to narrow. Mm-hmm. Ariel Cohen's also a Met fan, so I'll point that out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if Ariel's listening, it's just a joke. Uh, but yeah, uh, look, Alonzo has, um, I think his, up, his upside might even be higher because his best season was was better than Matt Olson's best season. Let's move on to another riser inside the top 100. Uh, Will Smith has moved up about a half round from pick 60 to 54, and this is the catcher, Will Smith, uh, from the Los Angeles Dodgers, going just ahead of names like Wander Franco, Javier Baez, and George Springer. Uh, Chris, Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like we all kind of liked Will Smith when we were doing our catcher preview, but like, you know, you've got to use a fifth round pick and you've also got to draft him over some pretty proven players. One that you really like in George Springer. Yeah. Like I'd rather have Springer, but I have moved Smith at up to my number two catcher spot. I just, I'd rather have him than Real Muto at this point. I don't think the, the moderate stolen base edge that Real Muto gives you is, is worth passing up on a guy in Will Smith who, aside from Salvador Perez and maybe Yasmani Grandal is probably the only catcher who, if he wasn't a catcher would still start in fantasy. Real Muto is probably pretty fringy. Um, but if you didn't have to start a catcher, I think Will Smith would be one of the guys who you would, you're talking about 834 career plate appearances with an 892 OPS. Last season was his biggest sample size. He had an 860 OPS. So I think he, 
pretty much is if Salvador Perez didn't exist, the best catcher at the the best hitter at the position. So um, I I do think like this is higher than I have him ranked, but him moving up makes perfect sense. And I he's still behind Real Muto in ADP, so I still prefer him to Real Muto. Yeah, I him moving up only further assures that I won't draft him because like yes, I'm all about drafting Salvador Perez around the three four turn. And I guess in theory Will Smith has a chance of catching him, but it, it takes a lot going right. The chief among them being he plays a lot of DH for the Dodgers this year. And there's of course no guarantee of that. Um I, I feel like a lot of people are approaching him as if, well, if I miss out on Salvador Perez, I can just take Will Smith and yeah. it'll all be the same. There's a, like that's that's pretty there was a 164 plate appearance gap between the two of them last season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like one of the other things for Will Smith. Or <laughs> well, yeah. One of the other things for Will Smith, though, he does walk a, a decent amount. You know, 58 yeah. walks and 501 plate appearances last season. If you're looking for ways that he could get better for Roto League for five by five, the RBI would be one. But with his walk rate, you know, there just aren't that many opportunities for him to drive runs in. So. You know, it's 76 RBI, 71 runs last season. You could see him getting to 80, 85 of both, but he would need to see a, a pretty significant spike in playing time to get to 90 plus, I think. Yeah, and we've talked about standouts the past couple of podcasts in OBP and head-to-head points leagues. Will Smith, because of that yes. fantastic walk rate, does excel in that format. He had an awesome second half. He hit 266, 15 homers, a 936 OPS. That is a 34 homer pace over 130 games. So, uh, if he can push 140 with the DH there, then you know maybe he's. We're talking about him hitting 35 plus home runs this yeah. upcoming season. Uh, Jonathan India, the next one, he's moved about half around as well from pick 92 to 86 over the past month or so. He's going just ahead of names like Tommy Edmond, JD Martinez, and Alex Bregman. And Scott, I think this is part of when we were talking about the second base breakdown. So many mm-hmm. second basemen also play shortstop, and I think people are starting to realize that maybe it's not as deep as we thought when we first started looking at the second base position. And as a result, maybe we're we're pushing the mid tier up a little bit. Guys like Jonathan India and and Jorge Polanco, even. Well, I mean, you have to be careful given that NFBC is primarily fifteen teams, right? There are a lot of twelve team yeah. leagues. Like the online championship leagues are twelve teamers. Okay. Well, cert- certainly the vast majority of people listening play in less than 15. Right. And yet obviously, a 15-team league changes the depth outlook of everything. We're, we're having shortstop issues in TGFBI, and that, that position is in, seems incredibly deep, right? Deepest infield position. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I still think in a 12-team context... Look, if you totally ignore, if you totally space out at second base, yeah, you can end up with somebody pretty crappy there. But if you have any, you know, just if you're halfway intentional about drafting a quality second baseman, it's 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 not difficult to get one. Uh, I yeah, I mean, maybe Jonathan India is. You get a lot of people who who weren't so intentional, and then they panic and and take India ahead of somebody like. JD Martinez, or I mean, the Alex Bregman one is weird to me because, like, third base is obviously weaker than second base. It's not even close. And I, I don't know what advantage India has on Bregman. I guess you expect him to stay steals. healthier just because Bregman got hurt last year. And, and yeah, he, he got about a dozen steals, which what's a dozen steals? I mean, that could easily become five steals, you know? Um, so I don't know. It seems a little. That's that's the weird one to me. I think I think 86 though is probably about at least a round too early for Jonathan India. All right, mm-hmm. inside of the top 100, I also wanted to mention because Chris, I know you've been drafting him a lot. Ronald Acuña has moved from 11.9 in January, so right there at the 1 2 turn in the 12 team league. He's up to pick 9.3 and again, you know, it doesn't sound significant, but that early in the first round, I mean, you know, we're splitting hairs on these players. So, he's now going just ahead of Bryce Harper. Chris, who would you rather have, Ronald Acuna or Bryce Harper? I would still rather have Harper, although I have drafted Acuna more this season. So, um, 
And I don't know if I've taken, I don't think I've taken Acuna when Harper's been on the board. I don't think that's something that's happened, but I do have Acuna 14th overall, Harper 9th. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a gap in Harper's favor, but Acuna's upside is probably higher just in a five by five context, assuming he's going to run like he has in the past. That's kind of the one of the unknowns with Ronald Acuna in, in addition to just when he's going to play. Um, but if Ronald Acuna is not running the way he used to, then it becomes a much more interesting question because, you know, he's not necessarily been the thousand OPS bat guy that, that Bryce Harper has shown he can be. So I, I think it's an interesting uh, question, but I, I would still rather have Harper right now. Yeah. I mean, maybe Acuna goes from a 40 25 guy if he's completely healthy, everything's clicking to. You know, 35, 40 homers, 15 steals, something like that. It's Although, still an amazing player, but obviously, you know. His last, he's played 128 games in 2020 and 2021. He has 38 homers, 118 runs, and 81 RBI with the 271 average. So don't want to downplay <laughs> Ronald Acuna's other contributions in addition to this 25 stolen base. He scores so many runs, <laughs> a ridiculous yeah. amount of runs. I mean, like, he's, he just gets he's on at base a 400 so on base percentage over the past two seasons. Yeah, no, nah, he's he's been absolutely ridiculous. Let's uh, move a little bit quicker, rapid fire style through the biggest risers, 101 through 200. All five of these have moved 10 plus picks over the past month. Mitch Garver from 192 to 176. People are buying back in on the power production that Mitch Garver can provide. And he's going just ahead of now names like Alex Kirloff, and the next player we'll talk about, Marcelo Zuna. Scott, does that sound accurate when it comes to Garver, or maybe is he starting to push too high going ahead of a Kirloff or Ozuna? Yeah, I mean, the appeal to Mitch Garver is if you're not going to, if you don't want to pay anything for a catcher, he's someone you could pay nothing for and still potentially get standout production at the position. If, if he had stayed healthy last year, he would have delivered on it. Of course, we saw in 2019 what he did. Uh, so if, if, if there is something like a cost to drafting him, then I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but generally speaking, I'm more interested in, in filling an outfield spot with an upside bat like Kirilov or Ozuna, personally. Uh, for what it's worth, though, outside of NFBC, so, you know, all of the other four sites featured on fantasy pros, Garver's still going outside the top 200 on average. And FBC is the only one where he's, um, you know, you, if you factor in all the drafts that have happened, he's going that 186th overall. Yeah. I, maybe some of those drafts are, you know, outside of NFBC are one catcher leagues too. So obviously catchers yep. would get pushed down a little bit in those formats. Most leagues, I would say 90 plus percent of the leagues happening over at the NFBC are two catcher leagues. So mm-hmm. uh, more often than not, you know, Mitch Garver is like a borderline catcher one, or, or if you invest highly in the position, he's uh, you're a high end catcher too. Uh, Chris, the next name up here, Marcelo Zuna, he's climbed uh, up just over around 197 to 184. How high do you think Ozuna can climb if if it looks like he's going to play for the Braves and everything's kind of going normally, one spring, summer training? I don't know what we're going to call it whenever it does happen. Uh, his ADP last year was 45.7. How, how high do you think this can get for Ozuna? I mean, if there were zero concerns about his playing time, he'd be a top 100 pick, right? He'd be going around where Christian Yelich and, and Cody Bellinger are going, right? Like, he wasn't as good pre-2020 as those guys, but he had been a top 12 outfielder twice before last season. So I I think if we were in spring, if the Braves were in spring training right now and we had a quote from from them saying Marcelo Zuna is our everyday DH, he'd probably be top 120. So I think there's a lot of room he can climb and he probably should as long as he's going to be playing. At this point, I don't think any reason to think he won't be. Yeah, uh, everything has trended that way so far. Scott, the next one up here is Justin Turner. He's climbed from 162 to 150, and I think this is just a correction. He was going too late. People realized how good he was last year. He kind of slowed down in the second half, but still hits in the middle of one of the best lineups in baseball. And when he plays, he's been really good at a really weak position. So I think the market is just kind of correcting on Justin Turner. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was It was kind of bizarre how long he was lasting given how awful third base is 
You have a note here that he's climbed ahead of Yohan Moncada's ADP during that time in redraft. That makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. production-wise, you really have nothing to complain about with Justin Turner. It's just he's been kind of in and out of the lineup in recent years. He's very old, so when does he fall off a cliff? Um, but Hasn't happened you know, yet. Yeah, and for the price, I don't think you worry about it too much. Um, Max Muncy, he's also dropped behind. I think that has more to do with Muncy, though, than Turner and just the uncertainty surrounding his elbow. Uh, the fact that, yeah, it, sound, it sounds like the, it sounds like there, I, I think there's serious risk of Muncy missing the whole season. So um, he should come at a pretty steep discount if you do draft him. All right, next up we have A. Eugenio Suarez. He has climbed from 199 to 188. And Chris, he is going four spots ahead of Josh Donaldson over the past month or so, which, look, as much as I like what we saw from Suarez in September, I really like it. I like him as a sleeper candidate. I don't think he should be going ahead of Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I think you could just make a case that Josh Donaldson on his own rights is really undervalued right now. Um you know, he's kept hitting over the last three seasons and last season, he mostly stayed healthy. He's not going to give you big counting stats, but he's Justin Turner with, you know, you're trading batting average for home runs, right? You know, that's the, the biggest difference between the two of them. Maybe Justin Turner could be a better source of counting stats. But other than that, I do think Josh Donaldson's just a good value here. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, Turner's probably going to hit 270, 280 with 25 homers and, you know, I think if Donaldson could stay healthy, he's probably a 250 hitter with like 30 homers. So yeah, you trade off some of that batting average for power. And Suarez uh, could be a 250 hitter with 40 homers. I mean, he, that, that's yeah, not could. out of the question. He hit 31 home runs last season, sure. despite you know having what I think everyone would agree is a pretty disastrous season. So if that's the floor, I think Eugenio Suarez is a fine play at that point as well. It's just you know that there is serious risk to your batting average at this point with him because he's hit below 200 the past two seasons. Mm-hmm. Yep. So uh, it's, it's kind of like Joey Gallo. I mean, go, Gallo has an even higher power ceiling. But I do think there's more hope for Eugenio Suarez in batting average, probably. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, yeah. probably a 30% strikeout rate versus 36 for Joey Gallo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. Yikes. Uh, Reese Hoskins is the last one I wanted to mention here. He's moved about 11 spots as well. Reese Hoskins from 139 to pick 128. And he is now closing in on CJ Crone and Josh Bell. Scott, profit pocket, baby. Yes. Rank the profit pocket for me. For those who don't know, it is Crone, Josh Bell, Reese Hoskins, Joey Votto. How would you rank those four, Scott? So Votto's number one, regardless of format. If we're talking five by five categories league, um, I go CJ Crone second, Josh Bell third, and Reese Hoskins fourth. However, if we're talking about a points league, Hoskins jump, jumps to second behind behind Joey Votto. All right, the five other biggest risers going outside of the pick, uh, going outside of pick two hundred. Jake McGee has has uh, jumped from 288 to 270. Seiya Suzuki has jumped from 211 to 196. Of course, we are waiting for Seiya Suzuki to come stateside and find out where he's going to sign. He still does want to play this upcoming season in Major League Baseball. Uh, Lucas Sims went from 249 to 237. Josh Donaldson, all right, we're starting to see that market correct a little bit. 204 to 192, still going behind uh, Eugenio Suarez. And then Elias Diaz, for those who need a second catcher, from 247 to 236. Let's look at some of the biggest fallers uh, inside of the top 100. And Chris, we'll start with your guy, Luis Castillo. He's dropped about nine spots over the past month from pick 87 to 96. He's now down below Frankie Montas and Trevor Rogers, still going ahead of Charlie Morton because, I don't know, nobody wants Charlie Morton. But uh, what do you think? (laughs) Except us. What do you think about Castillo dropping below Frankie Montas and Trevor Rogers? I don't think it really makes all that much sense for him to be dropping below those guys. I know he was bad last season and whip is sometimes an issue, but it's not like Frankie Montas especially has been this symbol of consistency himself. Like if we're going to hold Luis Castillo having two really bad months against him last season, well, Frankie Montas has had a couple of bad months in his career as well. So I don't think that one makes sense. Rogers, I guess you could talk yourself into 
some sort of theoretical upside, but I think the innings gap between him and Castillo is likely to be, you know, if both stay healthy, probably 30 plus. So I think I'd still rather have Castillo, but I get that range for Castillo and I've probably softened my stance on him a little bit. And he's more in this range and like the SP three range at starting pitcher for me, but I don't, I don't love the idea of passing on him to take Frankie Montas. So I, I, I do need to interject here because I have Frankie Montas probably like six, seven spots ahead of Luis Castillo in my SP rankings. Now, I, I don't know that there's anybody in the industry higher than me on Frankie Montas. Uh, I, I kind of feel like we don't yet know what Frankie Montas's upside is because that splitter that's clearly the key to everything for him has come and gone, like in terms of actual usage. And uh, when he f- when he used it the most he's ever used over the final three months last year, he basically looked like Max Scherzer. So now maybe the reason the usage has come and gone is because the field comes and goes, and, and maybe he's just going to be a frustratingly inconsistent pitcher. I, I'll buy that argument, but I, I am willing to see the glass half full with him because I just don't think we have enough information to know either way. Yeah, Scott has Montas ranked SP21 in Roto, four spots ahead of Luis Castillo at SP25. Oh, I, I exaggerated. And I actually, they're pretty close for me, too. I've yeah. only got Castillo, I think, two spots ahead, right? Yeah, you have Castillo at SP24. You have Montas at 28. Yeah. So, uh, okay. but yeah, consistent with what both of you said there, presenting one argument for Castillo and the other for uh, Frankie Montas. Uh, Logan Webb has dropped about nine spots from pick 62 to 71. So moving closer to the end of the sixth round, the six, seven turn that was happening with him. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, it legitimately is. He's going just ahead of names like Lance Lynn, Kevin Gosman, Max Freed. Do you think he's dropped enough, Scott, or do you need him to drop even behind those guys before you consider selecting Logan Webb? Uh, Well, I definitely like, I like all three more. Freed is close. It's close between Freed and Webb. I think I think Webb has a higher ceiling than Freed. Really, it com- just comes down to the strikeout category. I think he has more strikeout potential than Freed, so more upside. But, you know, Freed has been just so steady the past two-plus years that uh, I'd, I'd rather side with him. It, it's at least to the point where I could think about drafting Webb. I mean... The 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 good stretches we've seen from Max Webb, it's not like they've been significantly worse. If whoa, whoa, whoa. they've been hold, worse at all. Hold on, Chris. You said Max Webb, so I just got Max Free. <laughs> okay, Max Free. The good yeah. stretches we've seen from Max Freed, if they've been worse than the best stretch from Logan Webb last season, it's mm-hmm. probably not much. And I don't know. I just feel like we're doing the thing with Logan Webb where we just kind of act like history started on June 1st last season or whenever the the breakout happened. And it's like he had thrown nearly 100 innings before last season at mm-hmm. the major league level where he had a 540 ERA, 536. He was bad to start last season. He made tangible changes though, Chris. I know he like changed sure. the pitch mix. and Sure, like, sure. No, yeah. I, I'm not doubting that. It's just... He wasn't bad to start last season. He wasn't great. He certainly wasn't... You know, someone that we're drafting inside of the top five rounds, like he was yeah. um, being drafted. And that's all not even including the fact that the reason he missed a month and a half was because he had a shoulder injury, which is a really, really concerning injury for starting pitcher. So I just, I've never been able to make sense of Logan Webb's price. I, I don't think it makes sense. Mm. Yeah. So that pitch mix change that I, w- I referenced, he lowered his four seam fastball usage. He more than doubled the sinker. He also raised his changeup and slider dramatically. Mm-hmm. So he's got those two secondary offerings that can get swings and misses with the changeup and the slider. Mm-hmm. And then the sinker just helps him yeah. bury ground balls into the dirt. So we're yeah. talking like a 60% ground ball rate for I Logan mean, uh, Webb. Part of, part of it for me is I, I believed very strongly in Logan Webb going into last season. So I guess you could say it's confirmation bias, but that was some serious confirmation. <laughs> those uh, three months when he got healthy again. Yeah, final 14 starts, quality starts in 12 of those. A 2.68 ERA, 101 whip for Logan Webb during that span. And you know, just, I want to quickly touch on this. I find it interesting that basically the entire mid-tier of starting pitchers were among the biggest fallers. So I mentioned Luis Castillo, Logan Webb, but also Lance Lynn, Frankie Montas, Jack Flaherty, Sandy Alcantara, Chris Sale, 
Alec Manoa, Robbie Ray, Kevin Gossman, they all dropped four or more spots in ADP over the past month, which I find interesting. I, I don't know what the reason would be for that. Like maybe it's just people are starting to buy the hitters more in the in that range and as a result the pitchers are falling. Yeah. But yeah, I, I find myself drafting from that range a lot. So I'm I'm totally fine with this happening. I think I think people are beginning to recognize I mean what we've been saying a lot going back to our off season podcast. Well it is still the off season, but you know, going back to the fall podcast where yeah the, that range at hitter drops off faster than at pitcher. Like it's a I mean, one of the first points I was making about starting pitcher this year is basically between 31 and 55 in my rankings. I was like, I can't, I can hardly distinguish between them. It's a very yeah. large tier there, that middle class, that resurgent middle class at the position. So, yeah, I think, I think people, even if they, even if they haven't um, described it necessarily in that way, they're just kind of inherently recognizing it that, you know, you, you need to fill up your your hitter spots more at that stage of the draft. All right. The biggest fallers between picks 101 and 200, all of these names have dropped at least 10 or more picks in uh, during over the past month or so. Uh, Pablo Lopez has dropped from 133 to 148. He's now going b- below Sean Manaya and Chris Bassett. And look, I like Manaya, and I would still take Pablo Lopez ahead of him. Chris, I feel like people are... Baking this into Pablo Lopez Lopez's price, that it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's going to be traded. Either that, or they just don't think he could stay healthy because of the shoulder. And I, I think the latter is more of a concern. I don't know why we would hold it against him that he's getting traded from the Marlins. You know, like that. He has big like, home, home road splits in his career. Much better in Marlins Park. Yeah, he's still at a point in his career where I don't think we have a big enough sample size for that. And Marlins Park, like it's a pitcher's park, but it's not what San Francisco used to be. You know, it's not that kind of extreme play. So I don't think I would hold that against him. Like, we know the Blue Jays have been interested in him. I don't see why I would value Pablo Lopez less playing for the Blue Jays than the Marlins. I I don't think his price dropping is a, a bad thing necessarily in a vacuum. Like, where he's going seems perfectly reasonable to me. It just, I don't know that his price should be changing necessarily. Yeah, so in his career, 2.97 ERA at home, 5.62 on the road. I mean, that's pretty drastic, Chris. I mean, hearing that out loud, is, does that change your mind at all? Or Not no? really, because we're still only talking about effectively two seasons worth of, of innings for him. Like 64 starts, I think, is what he's made in his career. And I would guess, I mean, we've talked about how Lopez's career numbers have been or season numbers have been really impacted by a couple of really, really bad games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would guess that it, it's entirely possible that it's just for through nothing but random chance, those games have been predominantly on the road. I'm looking at it right now. He had the 10 earned run game against the Mets in New York on May 10th, 19, or 2019, and then uh, had a seven run in one and two thirds against the Braves and in Atlanta in 2020. Mm-hmm. Probably a significant amount of the difference. Now, I'm not, that's not to say that doesn't matter. But it's more to highlight the the very small sample size we're dealing with with his career as a whole. He also had two starts last year on the road where he gave up six earned runs or more. One at the Braves, one at the Diamondbacks. So you can basically pencil in at least one start of six-plus runs allowed from Pablo Lopez per season because that's basically what he's done uh, each of his first three years in the league. Tanner Houck is the next one. He's dropped from pick 199 to 212. And Scott, I think that the the upside, the talent on a per-inning basis is, is tantalizing. It's evident with Tanner Houck, but I think just the uncertainty about his role is the reason why we're seeing him drop here. He's now down below names like Patrick Sandoval, which... I think we all agree with. Uh, and then also Hyunjin Ryu, which is a little bit closer. It's like upside versus safety. Well, not that Ryu's safe, but it's like a floor versus a upside pick. Look, I mean, that trio that I keep going on about, Kyle Hendricks, Carlos Carrasco, Zach Greinke, they all go after all of these guys, and I'd rather have them. Uh, well, except for Patrick Sandoval, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, how has... It has been kind of an industry darling in drafts this year, so I, I haven't really noticed 
um, him falling at all myself. I've had very little interest in taking him yeah. given where he goes. There are just too many. I named three of them, but there are plenty of others. Tony Gonsolin, of course, Patrick Sandoval, Joe Ryan, I think goes later. And I, like, I just, I, I think Hauk is going to, he, he could be in and out of the rotation. He could struggle to give you the length you need when he is in the rotation. Uh, I, I just don't think he's at the stage of his career yet where he's ready, ready to make a, significant fantasy impact and this might be a flaw in my game as like as a fantasy drafter chris i don't know if you struggle with this but guys like tanner hauck michael kopeck and Mm -hmm. aaron ashby right the upside is evident we just don't know what the role is but a lot of times at that point in the draft you really should just draft the skills and then things kind of usually like they work themselves out. You know, Freddie Peralta, a prime example last year, was mm-hmm. going outside the top 250 picks, and we knew how talented he was, and obviously did what he did. So I don't know. Like, is that a flaw? Is that like should we just be drafting skills at that point and not really worry about role? I think it depends on what what your team needs. There are certainly situations where that's the right approach. There are certainly situations where taking someone like Hyunjin Ryu or Zach Greinke, maybe a better example, might make more sense. I, I think. With regards to Michael Kopech, I think it's it's a more compelling point because I think he's just a more talented pitcher than Hauk. And it's it's easier for me to see Michael Kopech with a four-pitch mix becoming a legitimate normal starter with usual, with normal role and usage, even this season. Like maybe not for 32 starts, but I can see a 15-start stretch where Michael Kopech averages almost six innings per start. It's a lot harder to see with Tanner Hauk. Like it's just a righty who throws only fastballs and sliders effect essentially. Like there aren't a lot of guys who do that effectively as a starter. And he hasn't shown he can in the major league level in a, in a way that leads to consistent five inning plus outings. Tanner Houck, man, that mirror image of Chris sale. But that's also exactly what we were saying about Freddie Peralta. Like everything, I guess in Freddie Peralta's case, it wasn't a slider. It was just the fastball. Um, But it's possible that, Tanner Houck is just a small change away from becoming that kind of guy. It's just we haven't seen it yet. Yep, that, that's that's certainly true. Uh, the last one I want to mention here, Camilo Duvall. He's, uh, he has dropped from 160 to 172. And I mentioned earlier, Jake McGee is someone who has jumped about 18 picks. So I don't know if I missed something, Scott, or if it's just like people kind of talking themselves into Gabe Kapler where... You know, maybe they think he's still going to mix and match, or yeah. Know, but what, yeah, I no, mean, I, I don't think you've missed anything. I I right. researched the Camilo Duvall situation pretty hard before committing to him in TGFBI because I really didn't want to take a closer as early in round ten. It's just we were running out of closers at that point. Yeah, I've seen a lot of just people are drafting Camilo Duvall like he's the Giants' closer. We have no guarantee he's the Giants' closer. Just a lot of like negativity surrounding him that's maybe um, creeping into the ADP. But I, I don't know that they're, you know, him compared to Scott Barlow, certainly compared to like Giovanni Gallegos, who the Cardinals never seem to want to commit to him in that role. Like, I don't, I don't know that there's reason for more doubt with Camilo Duvall. In fact, I was going back and reading a lot of what the Giants beat writers were writing in, in September and October last year, and uh, they sounded very confident that this is the guy now. Um, and I, I think one of them even made reference to Kapler, Gabe Kapler learning to appreciate the importance of bullpen roles after having some issues with it early in his career. I don't know. I mean, it's it's not much to go on. Part of the frustration with what's going on now with the lockout is just there's so little being reported when normally we're getting this wave of information this time of year that's helping us fine-tune our, our thoughts on players. And I guess it's just these writers aren't coming contact in, into contact with players right now, so they're not getting... They're not getting much to report on. So we don't have much to go on, but just kind of putting myself back where we were when there was a lot of stuff to report on. Signs were very... Everything was very strongly pointing at Duvall as being the guy for the Giants now. Uh, in a way, Jake McGee, you know, he kind of fell into the role when Duvall is... Like, the guy the guy hits 104 with his fastball. Very exciting pitcher. 
Yeah, for sure. Prospect pedigree, throws hard, nasty slider. And he was the guy down the stretch, too. They used him to finish more games out in the postseason, the Giants did. So uh, I, I tend to agree. I think it's Duvall to start. And then, obviously, you know, if he falters, things can change. But yeah. I think that they'll give him an opportunity. And uh, as a result, you probably want to buy this this one-round dip if you are drafting in a 5x5 five five or any kind of head-to-head categories league. The other names, quickly mention, Eddie Rosario has dropped from 163 to 173 probably related to being a free agent. Miles Straw from 128 to 138. And then the biggest fallers outside of the top 200, Josh Young. I mean, obviously he has the shoulder injury, so I think he's dropped like 80 spots, but obviously he's probably not going to play at all this year. Ken Giles has dropped from 287 to 325. I think there's just a lot of mouths to feed in the Seattle bullpen, so people are worried about that. Anthony Santander from pick 257 to 275. Santander's been good when he plays. He just needs to stay healthy. He's averaged 29 home runs per 150 games over the past three seasons. Brandon Nimmo from 296 to 311. Joe Ryan from 214 to 227. And then Gio Urshela from 268 to 280, depending on what the Yankees do uh, once this lockout ends. Urshela could get squeezed out. You know, Maybe he turns into a utility kind of player, but if they bring in a shortstop, that player is going to play shortstop. Glaber is going to play second. And I believe LeMahieu is going to play third. And then either Luke Voigt at first base or whoever they trade for. Matt Olson or sign Freddie Freeman. Sorry, Scott. But uh, yeah, I, I do worry about the playing time for, for Gio Urshela. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.